Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Well, the Lord is good and his mercy endures for Emma und Emma. If you want to uh, open, you want to follow along in your Bible, we're going to be looking at a lot of scriptures in 1 Kings tonight. Uh, and we're going to launch out of 1 Kings 16. We will, of course, be projecting these. Uh, you know, so, you know, but if you, you know, want to keep, if you want to score along at home. Uh, we're starting a brand new series tonight uh, on God's faithful remnant. God's faithful remnant. And tonight I want to talk about how God has a people and a plan. The nation that, in which we live has, has decayed so greatly morally just in the last four or five years. I, I, I remember several years ago when Barack Obama was running for president and he had ads that came up, flashed up on our television screens that said change is coming and baby did it ever um, and but you know what as we read through the scripture we find that that does not uh, threaten God at all he is not in the least concerned worried in fact it says over in Psalm 2 he who sits in the heavens laughs I believe 2023 is going to be a bumpy year. Many people would say that 2022 was a bumpy year. I thought 2022 actually smoothed out some from 2021. Our government officials seem to be lying a little less or whatever. And uh, I believe next, next year is going to, a lot of chickens are going to start coming home to roost. And the repeated bad decisions made at multiple places, and I don't just mean in government, I mean among people and their, their own personal lives, etc., are really going to, because, it, you know, God showed us three years ago that the acceleration was here and that it was going to continue to accelerate. Uh, imagine if you would, you know, when you're driving a fast car or a fast motorcycle, and I love both, uh, that, you know, I mean, uh, I had a motorcycle for a while that would accelerate so rapidly that it would actually make me a little bit lightheaded, which probably isn't a good thing. <laughs> I think about the, you know, about the time you had 140, you know, you're going, wow, you know, uh, the, and I never went that fast on it. And that, that is the truth. I never did. But um, the, uh, it, it, you reach when you're standing on it, you know, so to speak, and you're in it and you're grabbing gears and all that, by the time you reach your top gear, particularly if it's an overdrive, you'll run out of power. You'll, you know, you're using torque down low, but you run out of horsepower. Eventually you get to the place where the car, you know, just it either runs out of gear or it runs out of horsepower and it can't really accelerate beyond that. That's you've pretty much hit top speed. That is not true of the acceleration which we are in in the world. There is no stopping this. It is going to continue to go faster and faster all the way to the very end. And God has a plan in the middle of it. And guess what? You're it. Everybody say, I'm it. Reach over and touch somebody and say, you're it. All right. Um, 
in the, we have a 21st century Baal, or Baal, more properly pronounced. Baal was the chief snare. Now, not to put down Milcom or Kiyun or Moloch or any of the other uh, Canaanite deities. Uh, Baal was the one with, with uh, whom uh, Israel had the most trouble. And when I talk about Israel, I'm talking about the ten northern kingdoms. Judah struggled a little bit, but it wound up costing Israel its kingdom. And the word Baal means master. Now, in some pantheons, he was the grand vizier. He was the second in command. And the, the chief god, particularly in Ugarit, which was north, was, was El, which is, you know, uh, God in many languages, including Hebrew. But Baal was the master. And he was the chief god in the Canaanite pantheon. And <clears throat> though he struggled against another god called Mot, which, by the way, means death, uh, Baal was the master. He was the chief. And he was the god of fertility. Now, in an agrarian society, fertility would be and prosperity would be directly linked to rain. And you got to remember in the Middle East, they used to have, you know, some pretty, pretty nasty droughts. All right. And so when you, you know, in the uh, when you pleased Baal and you strengthened Baal, then rain would come. Uh, the way you would um, strengthen Baal was to worship him. You would uh, cut yourself. There would be uh, cultic prostitution and sex acts to strengthen Baal. Uh, human sacrifice, bestiality, and other things that are so morally repugnant that I would not dare to even repeat them here. And in fact, I don't even recommend you look them up because they are so perverse. And basically... It was the exact same kind of perversions that we see proliferating in our country today. All right. Baal was not monolithic. And by that, I mean that Baal one place was not exactly the same as the Baal in some other places. A lot of overlap, a lot of similarity, but they weren't precisely the same. Baal would take on diff, slightly different personalities among different tribes or different people groups, whether it was the Amorites or the Canaanites, the Hivites, Hittites, you know, etc. And so uh, he was, for all intents and purposes, a designer god. Because you could make Baal whatever you wanted him to. And that's what an idol actually is, is the god we want to serve because we like the benefits this God offers, all right? And so, you know, uh, all sorts of moral vice and excess would serve Baal. We'll get to the Asherah in a minute, all right? It became the state religion. About 885 B.C., the uh, 9th century B.C., Israel was in, and I'm talking about the northern kingdom now, uh, that was in the northern kingdom did not have even one righteous king. Judah, the southern kingdom, and which would take the pertinent uh, Benjamin in with it, had multiple righteous kings. But uh, 
Israel did not. That is the reason that Israel fell to the Assyrian Empire hundreds of years during the reign of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, uh, they, uh, they, they fell during that period of time, but Judah did not. Judah was protected because Judah had a king and a people that cried out to God, and God sent the Assyrians home with their tail between their legs. Remember, 185,000 being slain in one night. That'll change your viewpoint about your military tactics moving forward. All right. And the Phoenician, now along the coast of, you know, the uh, east of, uh, just east of uh, Israel, there was Phoenicia, old, uh, what used to be called Phoenicia. And it, Tyre and Sidon would be of that. And the Sidonian version of Baal was particularly uh, nasty. And, uh, you know, it, and of course, that's the version that came to Israel. Let me read for you here from 1 Kings, who set the base for this. 1 Kings chapter 16, verses 25 through 33. Now, what I am inviting you to do is to, as we read some of these things, to see that what was happening in the 9th century B.C. is not different than what we see happening in 21st century uh, the, the 21st century West. And when I say West, I mean Amer the United States, I mean uh, Canada, and I mean Western Europe in particular. It is happening some places in South America and in Central America, etc. There is some penetration there, but those cultures are more resistant to the greater excesses than, than what, you know, we've, we've just sold out to them. I mean, you know, when you have uh, a big celebration of uh, LGBTQ marriage at the White House and you have drag queens invited and and displayed as as you know proudly as you know this is something that our grandparents would absolutely be horrified and it's not because we have become more knowledgeable it is because we have become less so it is not because we have become more equality minded but less so all right so in first Kings chapter 16 we see a king named Omri mentioned directly. He's mentioned Micah, the prophet who uh, actually lived in the area of Benjamin during that period of time, uh, prophesied about the house of Omri and the sin that he, that, that his, uh, he brought and that his son brought to Israel. We'll read about it here. Omri did evil in the sight of Yahweh and acted more wickedly than all who were before him. So it's a downward spiral. For he walked in all the way of Yeroboam ben Nevat, son of Nevat, and his sins, which he made Israel's sin, provoking Yahweh God of Israel with their idols. Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and his might, which he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So, Omri slept with his fathers and was buried in Samaria. And, well, guess who? Ahab, Ahav, his son, became king in his place. Now, Ahav, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahab the son of Omri did evil in the sight of Yahweh more than all who were before him. Now, that's what they said about his dad. 
So in other words, it's one king after another who is taking the kingdom to increasingly lower moral depths. And we know, and so it goes on, and it came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam bin Nevat, that he married Jezebel, the daughter of Etbaal, king of the Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and worshipped him. So he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Okay, Samaria, of course, was the capital of Israel. And uh, Hob lived in Jezreel or Yezreel. And so Baal went and built in Samaria. And Ahab also made the Asherah. Now the Asherah was, uh, Asherah had many, many counterparts throughout the ancient world. Uh, Aphrodite or Venus or Ishtar or all of these female gods or goddesses rather and they were most of them were prostitutes most of them were were very very immoral and they and their immorality to be immoral was to worship the Asherah and all of this sexual perversion and all of this defacing of the image of God in people, make the, making their lawless claims to not be what God made them, but to identify as something else. Uh, and you know what? I love people, but I do not love sin. Amen. You know, God loves every one of those people. And Jesus died for every one of those people. And we reach out and we care for each one of those people. But we cannot condone because we know that the wages of sin is death. And you walk in it, you're opening the door to the enemy. All right. And so the enemy, now notice here that the enemy got a priestess to bail in to government at the, it's really, she was ruling, not Ahab. If you've read about Ahab's life, Ahab was a weenie. And he basically did whatever she had. You know, the murders that were committed and everything was mostly, was mostly her. His heart wasn't. He wasn't, um, he wasn't a hardcore Baal worshiper. He was just a wishy-washy, wimpy weenie. And so whatever she, you know, whatever she wanted, you know, that's, that's what he did. And, you know, that's why it's really important to choose the right spouse. Amen. You know, it really is. All right. I mean, you hooked your wagon to something. I mean, it's going to take you somewhere. All right. And so Ahab also made the Asherah and Ahab did more to provoke Yahweh God of Israel than all the kings who were before him. And now uh, Baal, that wicked spirit and make no mistake about it. Yes, these are idols, but there are demons behind those idols that are very real. And they're the same ones we're dealing with today. Absolutely. You know, in fact, on Sunday, we're going to talk about sons of God. And how we're going to get into how the world works in terms, spiritually speaking. And we're going to, then we'll get to the angelic part of it, etc. But, you know, I'm looking forward to, we're finally getting down to some fun stuff for me. Not that the other stuff wasn't, but it's, you know, really getting to the meat of it. All right. So, um, Jehovah, or Yahweh, worship, was not completely discarded. 
there was syncretism at the margins. In other words, what happened is they began to worship Yahweh and Baal or worship Yahweh and Milcom or worship Yahweh and Kiyun or, or whatever. And we saw it how that Aaron in at uh, Sinai made a golden calf. And that's what Jeroboam had done was make a, a golden calf. Uh, and and what did he call what did Aaron call the calf? He called the calf Yahweh. And so what do we do? Well, we, we, we bring out these things that are abominable and we say, but that's what God wants. And we say, this is, this is Christianity. That's why Jesus said, many will come in my name saying, I know the way, I'm anointed. You know, follow me. I, have, I know the mind and the heart of God. He said, do not listen to them. When they lead you into lawlessness, when they lead you into something unbiblical, and we're seeing that is the spirit of Antichrist, that is the spirit of substitute Christ, which we are seeing today proliferate here in our nation and, of course, in Europe and everything. And the lies, when you go over to Micah and read about it, um, it's just, it, it's, it, it is so incredible how God is talking to them about how their rich people are oppressing everybody in the land and that their mouths are full of lies and they are, they are et cetera. And how God says, you're putting some stuff up, but you're not going to be able to keep it because I'm going to deal with you. I believe we're going to see that. Baal had was bad enough. But as I said, the Asherah were completely out there. And though Judah had struggled with Baal to some extent, and, uh, Jeremiah makes some reference to it, but it, you know, it was never like in the north. And he, you know, this fall did not happen. It took hundreds of years. It, it took a couple of hundred years. It was, you know, because it, now somebody might say, well, why is our descent so rapid? Well, because they didn't in, in their day, they didn't have hand terminals. They didn't have, um, they didn't have, oh, that wasn't supposed to turn on. They, they didn't have hand terminals. They didn't have, uh, they didn't have Facebook and they didn't have Twitter and they didn't have TikTok and they didn't have, you know, all of that. But I promise you, if they did, Jezebel would have been canceling people who, because she was killing, uh, the, she was persecuting and killing the, uh, the, 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 the prophets of Yahweh. And so, you know, it's exactly what we see there. So, um, in 1 Kings chapter 16 um, and verse 34, it says this. In his days, Ahab's days, Hiel, the Bethelite, built Jericho. Now you might say, okay, so what? Under the prophecy and the order of Joshua, Jericho was never to be rebuilt. It was never to be rebuilt. So this was an act either of A, defiance, or B, complete spiritual ignorance. And Joshua even prophesied, whoever rebuilds this will do so at the cost of the fruit of his own body. Well, that's exactly what happened. He laid its foundations with the loss of Avram, his firstborn, and set up its gates with the loss of his youngest son, Seguv. According to the word of Yahweh. Now we do not know if they were killed on the construction site. Or if they were sacrificed. Uh, to uh, please Baal. In the, to help them with the, uh, the building of the city. But according to the word which he spoke through uh, Joshua uh, the son of Nun. Alright. So we see them doing everything that they shouldn't do. Now. 
in the midst of this mess. And that is exactly what it was. I mean, it was an immoral, unethical, um, use all the ill, un, or ear uh, prefixes that you want to. God had a remnant. What is a remnant? It's a small piece of a much larger piece. A people who would love Yahweh and serve only him. It is the remnant that God empowers. It is the remnant to whom God speaks. It is the remnant through whom God moves. He does not speak to them. He does not move through them. He does not empower them as a reward, but because of their faith. They are the ones who are believing him. We'll say this on Sunday. I'm so excited about it like this. You know what the enemy has to with which to attack you? Unbelief. That's all he's got. And if he can get us into unbelief, that's when he's got us. Commercial over. All right. God always moves through people. Anybody who thinks God's just going to show up one day and just... You know, okay, blow the whistle and say, everybody out of the pool. First of all, when you go through the plagues of and the the bowls, the vials of wrath and the trumpets and the scrolls in Revelation, you'll notice that there's always an interlude between them because God is giving individuals opportunity to repent. We had a pretty good contraction here with the pandemic and all of the terrible things that went down with that. And now we've had this little bit of a, a respite. I'm telling you, we're about we're in for another contraction. And you know, I I've never had a baby. I know that doesn't you know surprise you, uh, because God created us male and female, and I am not female. Uh, but I was around when my children were born, and I can tell you, my wife was very uncomfortable. She was very uncomfortable, and. That, you know, when that contraction hits, there isn't any doubt about it, you know. And like I said, we're, we're due for another one. Well, God has a remnant. And revival will come and the, and the harvest will come through that remnant. It's not just going to happen. So God raised up a man by the name of Elijah. Okay, Eliyahu. And he got up in 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 1. It says, now... Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the settlers of Gilead, said to Ahab, As Yahweh, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, surely there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. I want you to listen to me. We're going to see before we're done tonight that the people of God started talking to the government and insisted on being heard and we have a government right now that does not want to listen we have a government right now that thinks we're you know we're we're weird we're uh troglodyte knuckle dragging genetic throwbacks or whatever you want to call us but i'm here to tell you that our god has noticed and you will see the day when government will listen to the people of god again it will come I'm not saying that things are going to get so good and the, we're going to take over. I know there's a lot of people that think that. I don't believe that. But I do believe that, once again, spiritual men and women will be influential 
uh, again within government. And I'm believing that for our state representative sitting back there, among others. All right. Now, he says, it's not going to rain until I say so. Now, I'm sure that sounded just pretty bombastic when he first said it. And they're like, oh, right. Well, why would that be? Why would he say that? Why would he say, why would he not say, I'm going to call fire down on you or something like that? Because God is about to prove that Baal is not the master of anything. One, when, you, when we went through the book of Exodus on our Wednesday, or I mean Sunday evening classes, we delineated how each of those plagues over, uh, against Egypt was pointed at a different Egyptian deity ending with, or sort of ending, with the darkness, meaning Ra, the sun god, was completely humiliated by Yahweh. By the time it was done, there was no doubt about the fact that no Egyptian god could stand before Yahweh. Well, guess what? It's still the truth. No North American god, small g, can stand before Yahweh, can stand before Yahweh in the flesh, whom we know as Jesus of Nazareth. All right. And he, you know, what is what is what does Paul say? In the last days, men will be lovers of self and lovers of money. So we can expect finance. We have watched as our government has weaponized the U.S. dollar, weaponized the financial uh, situ- the financial system against Russia or against whoever. Fill in the blank. And I'm not saying that some of these people aren't bad actors. Uh, uh, but I, well, I'm talking about our own government there. Um, but the fact is that money is God in this nation. And the government controls people with money. Controls uh, higher education and education system because, you know, well, if you don't do, if you don't play by our rules, you won't get any of our money. And that's exactly what, that's the way it works. We'll wait until God pulls the rug out from under that. And he will. All right. And so Elijah says, it's not going to rain until I say so. Well, I'm sure for the first month or so, they thought, well, that's silly. But then it drug on to two months. And then to six. And then to a year. And then to 18. And then to two years. And then to two and a half years. And then to three years. And by the time, and it went for for three and a half years, 42 months. And by the time you're at 40 months, we see Ahab sending out a faithful man, Obadiah, Obadiah, to see if they can find some water, they can find some grass left so they don't have to slaughter all their horses and they don't have to slaughter their herds. They're look, they're trying to stay alive. And in fact, it was just as bad in Phoenicia under Baal as it was in Israel. And where did God send uh, Elijah after the brook Kerit dried up? He sent him to Sidon, to Zarephat, which was right close to Sidon, and had a woman there, a widow woman, and they ate pancakes every day. Everybody like pancakes? I do too. I love pancakes. But what's for breakfast? Pancakes. What's for lunch? Pancakes. What's for dinner? Pancakes. 
What's for breakfast? What's for your midnight snack? Pancakes. Well, see, let's do something different. We'll call it pancakes for breakfast. Then we'll call it tortillas for, <laughs> for lunch, you know, and we'll call them griddle cakes for dinner. But it doesn't matter what you call it. It's the same stinking thing. And, you know, I love pancakes, but I'm telling you, if you're like me, after you've eaten a whole lot over multiple days of even something you love, you start to hunger for something a little different. But you know what? It beats dying. Starvation. And so it didn't rain. Baal has been humiliated. Baal could not send the rain. Baal couldn't do anything. Now remember that there are powerful demonic spirits behind these, the, the Baals and the Asherah. Very powerful ones and they're influencing the government. They're influencing people. Finally, we, you know the story. Elijah presents himself to Obadiah and he says, you go tell Ahab to meet me on Carmel and we're going to have a contest between Baal and Yahweh up there. And so Obadiah went and told Ahab and Ahab came out to Carmel to meet him. And what's the first thing out of Ahab's mouth? First Kings chapter 18, verse 17. And when Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, is this you, you troubler of Israel? When people's sin falls on a nation, falls down on their heads, they will blame the righteous. They will. It happened in Rome. In the martyrdom of Polycarp, which is recorded for us by uh, Christian historians. Polycarp was in his 80s and he was a, a, a great saint. And he was ratted out by a group of people, Jews there, who were trying. What happened? That's one of the things that drove a wedge between the church and the Jews is that Christianity was seen as a legal religion by the Roman Empire because it was seen as a sect of Judaism. And Judaism was legal. But then when Christianity really started to, to, to take some heat, the Jews began to, to distance themselves saying they're not Jewish. They're not Jewish. We don't believe the way they do, which was true, but rather stand in solidarity with them because they worship the, the same God. They started turning informant on the church to try to deflect heat from themselves. It worked for a little while, but not for an extended period. And so there came a rift between Israel, the, people, the Jewish people and Christian people, which was a tremendously damaging thing because you know, we lost a lot of our Jewish roots and Jewish heritage, which we have just begun to recover in the last 50, 60, 70 years because of the scholarship that's been done. And, you know, it, 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 was, it was terrible. But Polycarp, back to Polycarp, I chased my squirrel. I'll come back over here. Polycarp uh, was called into the arena and the Roman procurator said, Polycarp, you're an old man. Just... Offer, just renounce your, the, and see, we as Christians were seen as atheists because we believed in only one God. Of course, the Roman pantheon had dozens of gods. And so we were considered atheists. The Roman 
empire was crumbling. It was under great stress. It was crumbling because of its own corruption. Much as we see today. One of the things that the Romans started doing was they started taking the silver and the gold out of their coins and replacing them with base metals. So that, you know, uh, the, the coins that used to be silver were smaller for a while and then they were only partially silver and less and less so that the government could, you know, would, would not have to spend all that money to mint it. We've done exactly the same thing in this nation. I remember when I was a kid and I saw in 1964 or 65 and I saw the first quarters that were sandwiches. I don't know if you remember those. It was like a copper center or something like this. And my and everybody knew what was going on. And some friend, I, you know, I, I was just a little kid. And I said, and the kids across the street from me who were in high school said, well, my dad calls those LBJ quarters. Some of you may know who LBJ was. Well, he was president at the time. And so what we and we have watched is our our money and everything else has just been drained of its value. And that is intentional and it is by design. Make no mistake. All right. So the Roman Empire was falling apart. And so who was the fall guy? The church, the Christians, the gods are mad at us because these Christians have been telling everybody not these atheists have been telling us that Jupiter is not a God. You know, that um, uh, Mars is not a God, that that they're not really gods. And they're mad at us now. We've become under their wrath because of these atheists. We need to stamp these atheists out. And so Polycarp was called into the into the arena and he said, Polycarp, just just renounce your atheism. Just offer a pinch of sacrifice of of incense to you're you're an old man. Save your life. Just, you know, it was almost like, you know, we, we really don't want to do this. But you're going to make us. He said, just denounce the atheists. And the, the, the stadium was full. And so Polycarp goes, down with the atheists. And he said, I have served him. And I don't remember how many years it is. I'm doing this from memory. And he said, never has he been unfaithful to me. And I will not abandon him in my, in my latter years. He was burned at the stake. Burned at the stake. You'll get to meet Polycarp in heaven. And since we have eternity, you may get an opportunity, if you so desire, to spend some time with him. I think it would be wonderful. I, you know, I love history. And I want, you know, and if I can't have a 4K replay of what happened, I would like to hear it from the mouth of those who were there. Amen. Say, what? How did that go down? You know, they'll probably be just as interested to know how weird things got when technology allowed them to do even stranger stuff. All right. So I'm sure in heaven, when people come in, they say, what's, what are they selling at Best Buy now? I mean, what's the latest? You know, probably not. OK. Um, so they were the, the, just as the Romans blamed the church. Ahab is saying, is it you troubler of Israel? And he said, I haven't troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have because you have forsaken the commandments of Yahweh and have followed the Baals. Now, that would have gotten him killed if Jezebel had been there, but Jezebel wasn't there. This is Ahab the weenie, you know, and God knows what he's doing. 
And so we, the beginning, and you know the contest, you know, who the God that answers by fire, he is God. And, you know, the whole bit. And, you know, at the beginning of the contest, when we, as we talked about a couple of days ago, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 21, Elijah came near to all the people because this drew quite a crowd. When this got out, people wanted to, wanted to be there for this. Because this is the most famous dissident in the nation. Now, when the king calls you the troubler of Israel, he's public enemy number one. And he's come out from hiding. Remember what Obadiah said to him? Oh, no, I'm for Yahweh. Did anybody, you're telling me to go tell Ahab that you're going to be there. Just as soon as I do that, God's going to whisk you away over to this place. Whisk you over away to that place. I'm here to tell you the king has left no uh, stone unturned looking for you. He's made all of the other kings and all of the surrounding areas swear that you, they're not harboring you. And that they don't know where you are. And you're going to meet him there. We're talking about 42 months it's been since he laid eyes on him. And let me tell you something. When you're in stress, 42 months is a long, long time. He says, no, I'll be there. I'll be there. And so he was. And so everybody heard, hey, Elijah's coming to Carmel. And he says that there's going to be a contest between him and the prophets of Baal. Well, there were 400 prophets of Baal, 450 of the Asherah. I believe that's the correct number. If it's not, it's the other way around. And so, uh, you know, and they were, they, I'm going to tell you right now, some of the, the prophets of the Asherah looked weird. We see, we're seeing that today. We're seeing it. And they're showing up. And so there's a whole bunch of people there. And so he says, Elijah came near, 1821, to the people, all the people. And he said, how long will you hesitate between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. That moment is coming in our nation. Now we're not there yet. But we're going there. If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people did not answer him a word. Well, for one thing, it would probably be dangerous. Because Yahweh worshipers, Yahwists as they are referred to in biblical literature, I'm talking, you know, commentaries and such, um, had been, remember what Obadiah said when she was killing him? I hid the prophets of Yahweh, the preachers, in caves in 50s and fed, and, and, and fed them and kept them alive. So I'm on your side. This is your plan to get me killed, you know. And so they didn't answer him a word. Now, in 18, chapter 18, verse 36, this is what happened and through 39. At the time of the offering. This is after the prophets of Baal had jumped up and down. They'd cut themselves with lances and they'd said, and blood's gushing out on them. Oh, Baal, answer us. Oh, Baal, answer us. You know, and nothing. And then, uh, uh, and then Elijah just got nasty. Call louder. Maybe he's in the bathroom. Maybe he's taking a nap. Maybe he's on vacation. Maybe he's got his cell phone on silent. So they did that all day. And at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Yahweh, 
the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it today, let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word. We're going to come back to that. Answer me, O Yahweh. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Yahweh, are God and that you have turned their heart back again. That so encourages me because here was a people so steeped in Baalism and Asherahism, etc. And yet God was able to move and begin to turn their hearts back to him. Then the fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, Yahweh, he is God. Yahweh, he is God. Can you say amen? amen. Glory to God. I have reached the, the one third point in my notes. I'm looking at the clock. All right. I'm going to talk faster now. The drought broke. Not everybody in Israel was serving Baal. Remember when Elijah ran all the way down to Beersheba. Like I've said many times, he didn't just leave town. He left the country. And God said to him, what are you doing here? I started revival. Why are you here? And... When he, then he said something. He said, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. That is the remnant. That is the group through whom or which Yahweh would begin the revival. I stood in this pulpit 20 years ago uh, this year and said, the Lord spoke to me and said, I weep for my people who are about to be left behind. And, I, and then six years later, Gene Jaquis stood in this pulpit and spoke of the thinning process and set the thinning of the ranks and how that God was going to do, was going to bring what we preachers know as a Gideon revival to the church. You know what a Gideon revival is? That's where you start off with a thousand people and finish with 110. Because Gideon, you know how God just, nope, these guys, nope, these guys, not these guys, nope, not these guys. And when Gideon finally left out, it was with a, a, a force of people that it was the remnant that there's no way militarily they could win this fight. It had to be God. God just loves to do that. He loves to get you in a position where only he can get you through it. That's not comfortable. It's not, you know. But that's, you know, that's the way God loves to do stuff. All right. And so the fire fell. He ran. Well, we'll come back. You know, the drought broke. I'm going to talk about how the, you know, uh, it says in verse 41 of 18. Now, Elijah said to Ahab, go up and eat and drink, for there is the sound of the roar of a heavy shower. Nothing had happened yet. He was hearing it in the spirit. How many of you have been hearing something in the spirit? You've been hearing the sound of rain. You've been hearing the roar of the lion of the tribe of Judah. So Ahab went up to eat and drink, but Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he crouched down to the earth and put his face between his knees. What is that? That is the classic birthing position. And he said to his servant, 
Go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and looked and said, there is nothing. And he said, go back seven times. What's he doing? He is birthing this move. He is praying. He is, in, he is interceding. He is doing that. He is crying out. We will not see this happen until the church truly begins to take prayer very seriously. And to believe that what we pray is, as we pray the will of God, it is going to come to pass that God is doing it. And it came about on the seventh time that he said, Behold, a cloud as small as a man's hand. Breakthrough! And it's coming up from the sea. And he said, Go to say to Ahab, Prepare your chariot and go down, so that the heavy shower does not stop you. And a little while, in a little while, the sky drew black with clouds and wind, and there was a heavy shower. And Ahab rode and went to Israel, and the hand of Yahweh was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and outran Ahab to Yezreel. Man! That's pretty cool. Well, the drought broke. The outpouring of God's fire came. The curse was stayed. And the people began to turn to Yahweh. Yahweh is the God who prospers, not Baal. Yahweh is the God who saves, not Baal. Yahweh is the one who is to be worshipped. Now, before revival, and there's a there's a there's a little nugget in here for us. First Kings chapter eighteen verse thirty. He talked about the altar and everything. We didn't we didn't hit that, but I want to come back and hit that now. Then Elijah said to the people, "Come near to me," and the people came near to him, and he repaired the altar of Yahweh which had been torn down. Do I? I was just reminding the Lord about that yesterday or day before. That when we first started this congregation, 30, coming up on 30, see. Yeah, 30 years ago. Uh, uh, well, over 30 years, nearly 40. Gosh, man, I'm old. That one of the things that the Lord showed me supernaturally was people coming to us who were horribly disfigured. You've heard me talk about this before. It's been a while. But I mean, you know, eyes in the wrong place, leg coming out of the rib cage area, you know, fingers down here and stuff. It just, it was, it was horrific. And there was another one like that, and they were, they, it was different uh, deformities, but, and just out, and I went, and I mean, I was asleep when that started, but I'm like, <laughs> and it was on a Wednesday, and I was trying to get a little bit of a nap. I've been in the office, I was trying to get a little bit of a nap before the Wednesday night service, and uh, those were the days, and when uh, I went, what was that? And the Holy Spirit spoke very, very clearly to me. And he said, these are people who have been butchered by so-called ministry. And I'm sending them to you to be healed. Because we're going to give them the truth. We're not going to give them some watered down, contorted, corrupted, antichrist, substitute Christ gospel. Because those things will not get you healed. It will not. It's not the truth. Are you, are you with me? 
We haven't seen that happen yet. But I believe we're going to. And a lot of people, and you're, and, and it's not just me, it's going to be the remnant that puts their arm around some of these people and say, no, you're wrong about that. This is what the scripture says. We must believe the scripture. Amen. Amen. So, he rebuilt the altar, the restoration of true worship, the reclaiming of it. And then what does it say next? Uh, Elijah took 12 stones, according to the number of the uh, tribes of the sons of uh, Jacob, to whom the word of Yahweh had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. And so with the stones he built an altar in the name of Yahweh, and he made a trench around the altar long enough to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood. What was the wood for? The wood was, to, you know, when you offer uh, a burnt offering, it says, and they cut the ox in pieces and laid it on the wood. Now, the wood is the fuel for the fire. First, we have to restore worship and reclaim it. And the second is we have got to get back to fervency and heat for the things of God and for the, for the worship of God. Church attendance has become optional in our current culture. And, and, and you know, uh, if, you, if you want to give, fine. If you don't want to give, that's okay too. Well, you know what? God isn't going to smite you and send you to hell, straight to hell. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200 if you fail to give or you decide, you know, people say, well, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. No, but you have to go to church if you're going to do what God wants you to do. Like one guy said, the local church is God's plan A and there is no plan B. And I stand up before you saying that unabashedly and unashamedly. I know it's, it sounds self-serving, but I'm telling you, look what the decimation of church attendance, etc., has done to our country. It, somebody might say, well, it wasn't that that did it. It's a symptom. Well, I wouldn't argue with that. So first we need to rebuild the, the altar. We need to restore true worship. True worship is not big screens and smoke machines and very skillful musicians playing stuff that carries us away on some soulish rapture. True worship is coming into the presence of God. It is worshiping God and then walking out the door and living a life of worship that is pleasing to him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of him. That is worship. We, you know, if we come in and we worship him and we sing the songs and cry the crocodile tears, but then walk out the door and we're unchanged, we're worshiping with him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. It's all about that real relationship with him. How do I know this to be true? Because what is the, you have to have the altar, you have to have the fire and the wood, and you have to have the victim. There, it was an ox that had been cut into pieces. In the New Testament, we are the victim. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to, uh, to present your bodies as a living Sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but transform yourselves in your own interest, middle voice, 
by the renewing of your mind, that you may discover and prove what the will of God is, which is perfect, good, acceptable, and perfect. We are, you know, we sing that song, we're used to. Let me be a sacrifice, holy and acceptable. How many of you remember that song? That is what, in fact, uh, Psalm 51, verses 16 and 17, David, in his penitential psalm, says, For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with burnt offering. You can't come and just dump off an offering or just sing and everything and expect that to be enough to please God. He wants our heart. He wants a relationship. He wants that daily walk with him. Not just that, going back to Micah, that's also in Micah. He has shown you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of thee, but to love mercy and to do justly and to walk humbly with your God. Written during this period of time, no less. So we have it. We are the sacrifice. Oh, coming back to Psalm 51. You do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You are not pleased with the burnt offering, with the Ola. The sacrifices of God, look at this, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. God, for the last 15 years, coming up on 16, has been preparing a people, those who would allow him, the remnant who have not been sucked in to the antichrist watered down unscriptural version of Christianity that not only embraces the world but joins it and has have, have stayed true and it's not just here there are lots of churches that haven't given up and haven't you know and that have allowed him through the washing of the water of the word to purify their hearts, training us to believe even in a difficult environment, even though we have had to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. And And I could stand here and do that for another 30 minutes and it's still not scratch the surface of how we've waited. I'm, you know, when I get to heaven, I've kidded the Lord about it, if you can do that, about how as I go through life, I'll have what looks like the Congressional Medal of Honor hanging around my neck. And when people look at it and want to know what great, courageous thing I did, they'll look at it and it'll say the, the, the God-given medal for waiting. The patience medal. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Training us to believe, even in a challenging environment, that He, and He alone is Lord. And He is our provider. Amen. When the fire falls, it is the remnant, those who have focused on Him, who will be the source, or be the be the conduits that he flows through them. They know his voice. They know his character. Those who have been obedient, those who have trusted him and have not allowed their mouths to kiss the bale of our fallen culture and have not replaced the God of the Bible with our own cultural perversions. The remnant will shine in this fire and we will be consumed with the love for God 
and the power of God. You and I are called to lead, not just to observe. We are called to demonstrate the power of God, not just spectate and speculate. To call on the name of the Lord and see the fire fall. And like any sacrifice, we're dead. We're dead to the world. We're dead to sin. How many of you, you know, how many of you women here? Again, coming back. First Kings 18, 36. I said a little while ago, we'd make, are you getting anything out of this? All right. At the time of the evening offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, Oh, Yahweh, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob and Israel. Today, let it be known that you are God in Israel. And I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your word. God is raising up a people that when the miracles occur, they will not take credit for those miracles. They will defer and say, no, 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 no. I didn't do that. This is the God of heaven. This is Jesus of Nazareth being, this is the God of heaven testifying that Jesus of Nazareth is his son. And that he is Lord. Now, here's the part that probably strokes my fur the wrong way the most. I can't turn this on. Oh, I so want to. I want to make it happen. How many of you know what I'm talking about? You know, that's, that's why we borrow money is because we want to make it happen. You know, I, uh, guy that used to go to church here a long time ago is um, over here at one of the local Toyota dealership and I was going through there, just going through their, their uh, stock online and they had a Sienna, that's the minivan. You know you're old when you're looking at minivans. We've got so many. I have nine grandchildren now. And I was showing a picture of it to Kathy. And she goes, it looks like a station wagon. I said, of course it does. And it's got all-wheel drive. And it's a hybrid. 35 miles to the gallon. I'm like, wow. And I called him. I said, you still got that? He says, yeah, and that was all-wheel drive. Cool. 41,280 bucks. 41,000. But that's okay. I can go down here to Community America or to some other bank and make it happen. I haven't had a payment book in so long that I'm not. You know, in fact, I don't think he can do it that way anymore. I'll never forget pulling up in front of Arlington Kawasaki in my police car. Looking in the eye, oh, man, I wanted a motorcycle so bad. It had been so long. And I'm sitting there looking at those KZ650s and KZ750s. And just, you know, kind of feeling a little bit sorry for myself. And I said, God, why can't, I, I, I want one of those. And I'm sitting there kind of thinking, how can I make this happen? And the Holy Spirit spoke to me pretty clearly and said, why don't you let me give you one? And I answered him very honestly. I said, because you take too long. Well, no, you know, I mean, he, just because you don't say it doesn't mean he. Jack Hayford used to tell a story about before, you know, he had been at his church, their church on the way. 
for many, many years, and they were just a small congregation. And then one day, it was like uh, 2nd of January or something like that, and he had been in his office, and he had been getting ready. You know, it was Saturday evening, and he had been getting ready for the message for the next day and everything. This was in Van Nuys, California. And he walked, he said he walked, he was getting ready to leave, go home. And he walked into uh, the auditorium of the church to adjust the thermostat to raise the temperature so it wouldn't be, you know, to knock the chill off so it would be able to heat it up very quickly. And he walked in the door and he looked and there in the center of the room was a silver glowing cloud. And he went, and he said, I wonder, and he said, but I didn't say anything after that. Because I didn't want my ignorance to come out of my mouth. He said, what I was thinking was, I wonder if that's the glory of God. But he didn't say that. He just said, I wonder. And the Holy Spirit spoke to him and said, it is what you think it is. Do you understand he knows what we think? And so, me saying, because you take too long. Oh, I would like to say, oh, mighty awesome God, I believe I receive it. I, I, I wish I'd done that. And I wish I had awaited. He did eventually get me a motorcycle, just like one of the ones at which I was looking. It happened three, four Five, six, seven years later. Seven years. In the interim, I bought a motorcycle and borrowed the money myself. And it was one catastrophe after another. Make it happen. Matthew chapter 11 and verse 12. You've heard me say this many times. And we'll, if our musicians will come. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and forceful men lay hold of it. Notice it says from the days of John the Baptist. Well, does that mean that God wasn't moving before that? No, it means that right now is the appointed time. In fact, remember when Jesus was about to be taken to heaven, they said, is it now that you are going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Their vision was way too small. But... In Acts chapter 1 and verse 7, he, meaning Jesus, said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs, the how longs or the whens, which the Father has fixed by his own authority. You know, people say, let's bring Jesus back. <laughs> Dude, you're not going to do that. The Father knows exactly when Jesus is going to come back and it's going to come. And the Father knows exactly when North America is going to move into the next phase of what God has. When in this church is going to move into the next phase of what God has. And you are going to move into the next phase of what God has for you. He has a plan. At best, we can delay it. But we cannot speed it up. He has fixed. And I so wish I could just... Say it now. It's time now, God. It's time now. And God go, oh, well, okay. You're, you're right. What was I thinking? The revival was hindered because Elijah blew it. That's true. But here, I want to close with this. Well, sort of close. 
I'm about halfway. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. Um, look what he said when uh, he was down in Beersheba. Yahweh said to Elijah, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. When you have arrived, listen to this, you shall anoint Hazael king over Aram. And Yehu bin Nimshi, you shall anoint king over Israel. And Elisha bin Shaphat of Avel Meholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. In other words, God says, I'm taking control of governmental things. I'm going to start raising up the people I choose. And it's going to get ugly. Because look what he says next. It came, and it shall come about that the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael, Yehu, shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Yehu, Elisha, shall put to death. Man, that is strong. No stronger than the people who were at the demonstration of fire fanning out over the area and dragging in all the prophets of the Asherah and of Baal that they could find so that they could be beheaded. When God gets ready, and don't, get, don't go out of here saying, Pastor says that we're supposed to go out and kill false prophets. No! Or that God's going to do this or God's going to do that. I'm using this as an allegory that when God starts cleaning house, he cleans house. But he's the one who decides the timing on it. I don't. If it had been up to me, it would have happened in 1985, the year after I graduated from seminary. That's when we, we'd have gotten started for, for several reasons. Number one, I wouldn't have had to wait this long. Number two, I would have been much younger. God does have a political agenda. All right. And it's politically active. Oh, my goodness. There was revival in Israel. It didn't really go that far and it really didn't last that long. And most of those excited early fell back asleep over a period of time. And the kingdom would eventually re resume its downward slide, albeit more slowly. And just 21 years later, Elisha would be doing what Elijah had been intended to do. And his preaching, his teaching, his healing ministry would become well known. Just remember about Naaman the Syrian and the little, uh, the young servant girl that was in his house who had been captured in Israel and taken into slavery. But she must have loved her master because she said to, to the household, she said, would that my master were in Samaria where the prophet would, you know, where a prophet would, would, would pray for him and he would be healed. You don't say that if Elisha didn't have a reputation for a healing ministry. And in fact, not only Elisha, but his servants had access to the kings. Wicked kings. But many of the kings that came after that were nowhere near as far gone as Ahab. Eventually they did return. I don't know that we can save the United States of America. I can tell you this without fear of successful contradiction. It's all going to burn. All of it. I would like to see our nation bounce back and have revival and harvest and praise the Lord one more time before going, everything swirls the bottom of the toilet, so to speak, 
and we see the book of Revelation walked out completely. But, it, but whether that happens or not, I believe we'll have harvest. I believe we'll have revival. And it starts with the remnant. The remnant will shine brightly. And God will move through them mightily. Look at that. We'll go back to verse 18. 1 Kings 18 and 38. The fire of Yahweh fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. Everything that was done in service to him was taken up. All of it. Every single stitch will come under the fire and be concerned, consumed. Rather. Great will be the move and great will be the reward. I ask you remnant, I promise you the day will come that all of the standing fast when you wanted to break and run, all of the hanging in there when it would have just been easier to go home will not only be worth it, you will say, thank God I didn't quit. Thank God I didn't give up. And furthermore, there will be many people around you who will say, thank God you didn't quit because they're here because you're here. Amen. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by internet, I've gone a little long. I, of course, I guess you could pause it, but the, <laughs> whatever. The fact is that if you do not know Jesus of Nazareth, we're coming. It's it, it, life is not going to get easier. It's not. I don't want to be a downer. I don't want to be a bummer. I don't want to be a bearer of bad tidings. But I'm just telling you the truth. The people who've been a part of this congregation for 25, 30, 35 years can tell you that I'm preaching the same stuff today that I was preaching. Many of these things I'm saying today, I was saying 35 years ago. I've got more revelation on it. I see more about it now. Why? Because it's happening. It's actually happening. We're watching it unfold. Our world has become so very corrupt. Way beyond what any of us ever thought could happen. And it's not done. It's not done. I want to invite you, if you do not know Jesus, today's the day. Believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And say, Father, I believe that you, that Jesus is your son. I believe you've raised him from the dead. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. The scripture says he will not cast you out. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how horrible you've been. No one is beyond salvation. Jesus has already paid for your sin. Take him up on it. Accept his offer. Christian, if you are just casually serving God, if you're just sort of serving God, this is no time to be that way. This is the time to jump in. This is the time to grab the altar, the horns of the altar and say, Oh God, I give my life. Crawl up on that altar. Be that sacrifice as it speaks, of which it speaks in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I'm telling you, great and mighty, it, it's the, it will be the great and terrible day of the Lord. Great for those who believe Him, terrible 
for those who don't. What a day to be alive when we are watching the book of Revelation playing everywhere. I invite you, commit, get in. Amen and amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily.org, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.